Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We've been in a series for the last two Sunday mornings, you can see it on the screen there, entitled The Characters of Christmas. We've been looking at different characters that are a part of the Christmas story and learning some things about their lives. Two weeks ago, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth and uh, the parents of John the Baptist, and we, we saw in that story how Jesus, when He came in, things we can learn about His incarnation at Christmas, how that Jesus came for the forgotten. Sometimes in life we feel that way, don't we? I wonder if anybody notices or does anybody care? And, and we saw and we studied that. And then on that Sunday night we looked at the life of the unborn baby in Elizabeth's stomach, John the Baptist, who would become the forerunner for Jesus Christ. And we saw that Jesus came for the children. We talked that night a little bit about the fact that Jesus loves the unborn children and, and Jesus came for the children. We see that throughout His life and ministry. And then last Sunday morning we saw Joseph. Really when Christmas time is a nightmare. For Joseph, what we celebrate, the, the birth of Christ from Mary, was for a, for a season at least a nightmare in Joseph's life. And we saw that Jesus came for the heartbroken. We looked at that last Sunday morning, and we're going to look here, and really we're going to pull from just a ten-word phrase in Scripture. I believe that the Bible is inerrant, that is, without error. I believe that it's infallible. It's, it does not contradict itself. It was written over the course of, of a couple millennia, a couple thousand years by, by uh, dozens of different authors in three different languages in different countries, and yet it all goes together and tells the story of Christ. And, and I believe that what I hold in my hand is God's perfect Word. It's not just a collection of good wisdom or good saying. It's not just a historical artifact. This is, the Bible says that the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I believe that this book, you can study it for a lifetime and never exhaust the riches of it. Most books, even a great book, you might read twice or three times or four times. You could read God's Word and always, every day, it gives new truth and it gives, when I say new truth, it fresh truth truth would be a better word. It gives fresh truth, and, and it's and is inexhaustible. And I believe that God's Word has everything that you and I need to live a profitable life that is pleasing to God. God divinely inspired His Word and put every detail in here for our instruction, for our edification. And so, uh, sometimes when you dig in, you kind of see the big picture of a book or the big picture of a story, but then you, Luke 2, I've read it probably hundreds of times, you dig in and, and you see a phrase, and it's not a phrase that I had never seen before, it's not a phrase that you've never heard before, but to really start to think about the implications of that phrase, what it meant, and, and, and the truth of the matter is that under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, God uh, inspired Luke to include this phrase in the Christmas story. 
So as we continue our series this morning, we're going to look here and see this phrase. We're going to read the first seven verses. Let's read them aloud, the first seven verses of Luke 2 together, and we'll find our phrase. Let's begin in Luke 2, verse number 1, the Bible. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. Don't ever feel embarrassed if you need to go to the table of contents to see where a book is. Find the page number and get there. I always encourage you to follow along and see the text for yourself. Luke 2. Verse number one, and it came to pass in those days that there—oh, I said we were going to read aloud, didn't I? Let's read aloud. Luke 2, verse one. Ready? Begin. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. You see the last ten words in verse number seven, the passage that we read there, because there was no room for them in the end. This morning, if we're looking at a character, it kind of sounds funny because it's a character that's not even um, explicitly mentioned in Scripture, but we would, it would be the character of the innkeeper. And this morning's message is this, Jesus came for the unsuspecting. Jesus came for the unsuspecting, the ones that really weren't looking for him. The ones that hadn't made any room in their lives for him, the ones who were not seeking him, the ones who didn't even recognize him and his family when they came, Jesus came for the unsuspecting. Those who don't or didn't and still don't realize maybe who he was and aren't even looking for him, Jesus, church family, didn't just come for the religious. He didn't just come for those that were brought up in the church. He didn't just come for those that, that grew up going to church every Sunday. He, he, he came for those who had not made any room in their lives for him. He came for the unsuspecting. Again, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, Luke included that very important phrase that there was no room for them in the end, the busyness in this setting, and put yourself in the story, G Joseph and Mary have traveled that, that grueling 90-mile journey. Imagine being nine months along, being, uh, and you're going on a grueling journey for some 90 miles, possibly all of the pictures have it on a donkey. The Bible doesn't tell us it was a donkey, possibly a wagon or something of that nature, and the bumps and all of those things, and, and uh, a several-day journey to get there. And they come, they finally get to Bethlehem where the census is taking place, and it is packed with people. It is, it's, 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 the, the hotels are full, everything's full in our, the way we would look at it in our society. They can't find anything anywhere. And the busyness of people's schedules, the current events taking place, the priorities of the people of Bethlehem converged to create an environment where there was no room for Jesus to be properly cared for. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The busyness of people's schedules, current events taking place, and the priorities of, of the people of Bethlehem or America or Orange County converged to create an environment where there was no room 
for Jesus. I didn't put that phrase in there. Luke could have told us the story that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem and a baby came. It really feels like not that, that important of a detail, maybe. You can get, you could tell the whole story of Christ without that detail. He was born, and then shepherds came, and people worshiped Him, and, and the baby was born, and that's the important part, that the Messiah had come. But He gave us that phrase, because they laid Him in a manger, which is a feeding trough, because there was no room for them in the inn. So much that we can learn from this little phrase in these, in, in these few verses here. Historians and theologians have long debated what, what this really looked like, no room in the inn. Again, in Western culture, what we kind of, at least for me when I read it, uh, we might picture Joseph and Mary pulling up uh, to the valet on their donkey at the Bethlehem Carlton and saying, I, I need a room for my wife. And the bellman saying, sorry, sir, you must not know there's a census going on, we've got no rooms and say, well, I need to talk to your manager. And they bring the manager out. Can I help you, sir? Yes. My wife's about to have a baby. We really need a room. And you're not going to like the TripAdvisor re- review that we leave if you don't give us a room. It's kind of how I picture it. The reality is, very likely, this wasn't a hotel like we think of. We don't know exactly what it was. It may have been a, a lodging place, almost like a hostel that would have had several rooms where travelers could come. Some suggest that it may have been like a circle of almost shacks uh, where people would stay, travelers, and they would keep their animals in the middle of that. Others have said that often the inns would be a residence, a private residence that might have a room or two on the top where uh, when, when travelers would come through that they would let you come in and stay. We don't know exactly what it looked like, and so when we say the innkeeper, Again, in my mind, I kind of often think of a hotel manager that said, no vacancy sign on the, on the window. We don't know that, but we do know somewhere there was someone that Joseph talked to that said, is there any way I could find a place? And there may have been several someones. That he may have gone to several places. Is there any way we could get a place to sleep for the night? My wife's not doing well. We've been traveling. She's having some, some labor pains. We're about to have a baby. We know somewhere there was someone that told him, I'm sorry, we have no room for you. You can't come into it, whether it's our, our business or our home, whatever it might have been, you can't come in. And somebody had to have helped them and say, well, there's something over here maybe we can, and it may have been the same guy. They said, you can't come in, I have no rooms left, but I've got this spot over here where the animals stay, where the animals feed, and it's kind of covered. Again, we often say a stable. The Bible doesn't tell us it was a stable. If you go to Israel, they'll show you where they think it could have been a little cave there, and and where the the shepherds would take animals out of the weather, and it might have been something like that. We do know very likely where they fed, it would have been something like a, a covered spot of some sort. Somebody helped them find that, but also somebody told them there was no room for them. And on Christmas Sunday, 2021, unfortunately, I'm afraid that too often not much has changed some 2,000 years later. Christ comes to knock on the door of our lives, to knock on the door of our hearts, to knock on the door of our schedules, to knock on the door of our budgets, of our priorities, and Unfortunately, I think he often finds the same thing he found in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, no room for him. So what do we learn about the way that our king came to earth on that first Christmas? Number one, I'd like to point out the fact that Jesus came in humility. They laid him 
in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. The creator of the universe spent his first night on earth out in the elements in a dirty animal feeding trough wrapped in the claws that were used to wrap up a newborn sheep. That's what those swaddling clothes were. They were, they were the, the things that when a, a sheep would be born, that the, the shepherd would, would take those and wrap that sheep up and clean them off. Those were what was used for Jesus. Isn't that an interesting thing, that the swaddling clothes that were used by a shepherd for a newborn sheep were used for the, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world? The great shepherd would come and lie in those clothes that the shepherds would use for their sheep. The Lamb of God, which came to take away the sins of the world, found his first blanket to be a sheep's blanket and his first bed to be an animal's food dish. Jesus came in humility. I don't know all of the reasons that God chose to send Christ the way that he did, but I think in some ways it maybe helps all of us to know that that he came for all of us. You see, we like to, as humans, we like to rank people. Well, where do you line up in society? Well, what's your education, and where did you graduate from, and how much is in your portfolio, and how successful have you been in your company? And we like to rank people, well, there's the upper class, and there's the upper middle class, and there's the middle class, and there's the lower middle class, and there's those that are in poverty. And we like to rank people in class systems. And you know what? Jesus, the Bible says that God so loved the world that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't look and say, I love this class and I don't love that class. Oh no, he doesn't only love the poor and he doesn't only love the rich and he doesn't only love the middle class. He doesn't only love the old or the young. He loves the world. He came in humility and it's a reminder that you don't have to attain to some level. And if God, by the way, don't, don't, don't get class warfare where if you have money, well, I look down on these people. If you don't have money, I look down on those that do. That's, that's not the Spirit of God. God blesses different people with different resources and different gifts, and that's nothing to feel guilty about, but it's a reminder that Jesus came in humility. Why? To show us that He came for all of us. What does the Bible say in Philippians chapter number 2, verses 5 through 8? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he what, church? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We serve a humble Savior. He came in humility. What an example. And then Paul said to the church at Philippi, let this mind be in you. Well, look what I've accomplished. Praise God. God gave you the mind to be able to do that. Look what I've attained. God is God that gives you the power to get wealth. Look at the success I have. Give Him the glory. Let this mind be in you. What a Savior. The one worthy of all praise, demanding nothing at his arrival to earth. Think about that again, a manger. The one worthy of all praise demanding nothing at his arrival. Sometimes we'll see a, a celebrity or somebody will catch him on a TMZ or a, or a, and they'll get really mad and, and you'll hear something like, don't you know who I am? A police officer might pull somebody famous over and, and don't you know who I am? I'm calling my lawyer. When Jesus came, it wasn't, don't you know who I am? The one worthy of all praise demanded nothing at his arrival to earth. Number two, not only did he come in humility, he came as a helpless baby. No room, 
No midwife, no nurse, no bed. He couldn't do anything for himself. For years, he was dependent upon his earthly father and mother. Do you ever feel helpless in your circumstances? You don't have what it takes. You aren't smart enough, connected enough, successful enough. Again, Christmas, and this right here is a reminder that Jesus came for you. He, number three, he came in homelessness. He came in humility, came as a helpless baby. He came in homelessness. The most powerful person to ever walk on earth lived in the least comfortable way you can imagine. As an adult, he would say that he had nowhere to lay his head, a pillow for a stone. I'm sorry, a stone for a pillow. That was, got that one. I'm not buying either of those for my wife this Christmas, all right? A stone, a pillow for a stone. I don't even know what that means. A stone for a pillow. One of the churches, one of the early church fathers, Jerome, who was born in 347, said this about the humility of Bethlehem. The Lord is born on earth, and he does not have even a cell in which to be born, for there was no room for him in the end. The entire human race had a place, and the Lord about to be born on earth had none. He found no room among men. He found no room in Plato, none in Aristotle, but in a manger among beasts of burden and brute animals, and among the simple two and the innocent. Jesus came in homelessness. Number four, lastly, Jesus came in holiness. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to not, if you take, take notes, you can put it down. Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary. To a virgin, a sinless baby, Jesus was not conceived uh, by, by a sinful parents. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost, and He was a perfect sinless. Again, in the Old Testament, when they would atone for their sins, they would of, often they would bring the, the, the firstborn lamb, and it had to be a lamb without spot or blemish. It couldn't have, it had to be basically a perfect lamb, and that was the, the sacrifice that God would accept for the atonement of their sins in the Old Testament. And, and what, why, why, why did God have them do those things, not just because he, he, he rejoiced in the, the sacrifice of, of lambs, of little lambs. No, it was pointing to this day right here, when a perfect, sinless, spotless lamb wrapped in swaddling clothes would come. He, he was a sinless baby, but don't get it mixed up at Christmas. And I love Christmas, and I love singing songs about the manger. I love singing songs about Silent Night and Oh Holy Night when Christ was born. We're going to sing uh, some of those and others on Friday night at our Christmas Eve service, 5 o'clock. I can't wait. A lot of beautiful music and some things for the kids, and I can't wait. I love singing songs that, that cause us to think about the night that Christ was born. But don't stop. Jesus didn't come just to be a sinless baby in a manger. He grew to be a sinless child and then a sinless adult, and he walked this earth for 33 years without sin. Why? Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payment of our sin is death because the Bible says we have sin in our lives. We have to spend eternity in a place called hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through, here it is, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sin must be paid for. And if Christ had his own sin, he couldn't pay for mine and he couldn't pay for yours. But because he was that sinless baby that grew to be that sinless Savior that hung on the tree and, and shed his sinless blood for your sins and for mine, was buried in the grave. And as we mentioned, when Amanda just got baptized three days later, rose again, he conquered death. Why? So that you and I could have our sins forgiven and that one day we too could conquer death and have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
He came in holiness. Some, some newer translations and things try to take that word virgin out of the Bible. Oh, the Bible's very clear that she had not known a man and that Joseph had not known her. He was that sinless baby. Pilate could find no fault in him. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. As John the Baptist proclaimed in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. What a Savior. With this little phrase, because there was no room for them in the end, we are reminded that the world wasn't ready. They weren't looking for him. They hadn't made room for him in their lives or their homes, but yet he came anyways. By the way, this wasn't the only time that God would do great works in the lives of those least expecting it. This is how God often enters our lives, when we're unsuspecting, when we're not looking for it, when we're not ready, we weren't, we weren't planning on it. Do you remember that shepherd boy who was busy tending sheep? When he was summoned inside and a priest named Samuel anointed his head with oil and whispered in his ear that he'd be Israel's next king, Jesus came to the unsuspecting shepherd boy. Do you remember that pagan farmer who, who was minding his herds when God called him to leave everything and take his wife to a land called Canaan? J God came to an unsuspecting Abraham. A fallen prince who was working the backside of the, de de the desert when God appeared in a flaming bush and told him to go to Egypt. God came to an unsuspecting Moses, a high-ranking member of the Sanhedrin who was on his way to Damascus to persecute this new religious cult when Jesus unexpectedly met him in a blinding light. Jesus came to an unsuspecting persecutor Saul and made him preacher Paul. Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning, Christmas 2021. You really don't have much room for God or Christ in your life if you're to be honest. I'm not here to beat you up about that. I'm here to tell you that God came for you, that God loves you in the midst of your busyness. You filled every empty space and every waking moment with business, with activity, with family, with personal pleasures and earthly pursuits, and maybe many of them are, are commendable. They might not even be sinful, but they just aren't necessarily eternal. And our lives become so focused on this temporal earth down here, and we have no room for the Savior that came to us. If the truth were told, there's no room for Christ in our lives, that can be true of an unbeliever and of a believer. But Christmas is a reminder that we are the ones that Christ came for, the unsuspecting, the ones who aren't looking, the ones who haven't made room for Him. He's asking you this morning to open the door of your heart to make room for Him. Let Him come in and change everything. Maybe, let's be honest, maybe some of you are just here because it's Christmas. A friend invited you or a family member dragged you in here, or maybe you just thought, you know what, seems like a good thing to do. We're going to do a bunch of other stuff. I might as well take an hour or two uh, when we're celebrating Christ's birth. Seems like a good thing. Go hear some Christmas carols and go hear some guy yell at me for 30 minutes. That seems like a good thing to do. I don't know why you're here, but may I say that Christ came for you, and He can change everything in your life if you'll let Him. 
You ever stop to think? I do this sometimes. I try to sit in the passage and really think about it. You ever stop to think, whoever that innkeeper was, whoever that person that let Joseph and Mary know, you can't use our house or you can't use our place of business, but hey, I know this spot out here. When shepherds started filing in out by their manger, and there are people there worshiping and like, what's happening? Who are these weirdos? There's a baby born, like, I know that's kind of interesting, and, and, and they're telling them stories about how there was a heavenly host in the skies, and angels had visited them, and they're talking about all of that. You ever stop to think, I wonder who I didn't let in? I wonder what that family is. I wonder who that young couple is. I wonder who that baby is. They began to file in, but Christ came where there was no room so that we might have a home in Him for all eternity. Christ came where there was no room for him so that we might have a home in him for all eternity. He had no home, but he is preparing our eternal home. Here's the question on this Christmas Sunday morning. Will you make room for him? Will you open your heart to him? Will you let him change your life, your future, your priorities? Jesus came. You say, well, I wasn't expecting that. I just came to hear a couple Christmas carols. Jesus came for the unsuspecting. My testimony is in some ways similar to the innkeepers. For the first nine years of my life, my single mom and I had no room for Christ. Our days were filled with work, with friends, with school, with sports, with parties, with worldly pleasures. Nothing of Christ for the first decade of my life. We didn't know it, but one day, we were pretty unsuspecting, one day would change everything. It was a Sunday in May when my mom's coworker invited her to join her in church for a Sunday morning service much like this one. My mom and I had no idea what to expect. I think I had been to church twice before that my whole life. I think both on Christmas Eve, if I remember right, my grandma, uh, my grandma Phyllis had taken me to a church. And I remember one thing, I was just a little kid, probably five, six, seven years old. I remember the choir up there singing. I want to say it was like a midnight service. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not sure that I would have been able to stay awake when I was that young, but it feels like it was really late at night, and the choir was singing. I remember they took an offering, and the ushers, we haven't done that since COVID. We don't pass the offering plates anymore. We have the offering boxes in the back, and folks give online. But remember the old days, like in 2019, when we used to pass offering plates? And the ushers came by the pew and passed the offering plates, and I remember I was watching, I remember two things about that offering. One, don't do, well, we don't have plates anymore, don't do this if we ever bring plates back. My grandma put a 20 in and pulled a 10 out. She made change in the offering plate. (laughs) I remember that. Now, she gave 10 bucks, but I mean, she wasn't going to go all the way with 20, right? And uh, my mom's going to watch this service. Don't tell grandma I said that. Um, But I remember that about the offering. She made change. She She took 10 bucks back. And then I remember, I remember sitting there thinking, Talking about the ushers, those guys are rich. Man, they, they get a lot of money. I thought the ushers got to keep the money. I was like, I want to grow up and be an usher when I get older. I'm going to be an usher. That's a good gig right there. I don't remember anything about church. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't, I, honestly, if you ask me who Adam and Eve, Eve were, I have no idea. There was no spiritual instruction in my life. There was no biblical. I knew nothing of Christ. I knew nothing of church. I knew nothing of the Bible. I knew nothing of any of that. There was no room for Jesus in our lives. My mom, we didn't know what to expect. We drove. I don't even remember. I remember my mom saying, we're going to go to church to meet my coworker. Her coworker invited her to a big outreach day. By the way, you never know what you invite somebody to join you in church might do to change their eternity and to change their, literally change their family history. 
uh, that, that, that invitation from one of the quietest, least involved, when I say involved, I don't mean that in a bad way, she just was a quiet, behind-the-scenes lady, hardly did anything in the church, but she, my, my life is forever different because she invited my mom and I to church that day. And I remember my mom telling me, well, after church, they're going to do some thing at the park. They're going to have like some games. I don't know if there was jump, jump houses and carnival games. Ronald McDonald was going to be there passing out hamburgers to kids. And, and sorry, kids, we're not doing that this morning. But I remember sitting there that morning and thinking, while this guy standing up there yelling like I'm doing right now, I remember thinking, when is this going to be over? I want to go get some hamburgers and play some games. How many of you are feeling that way right now? All right. <laughs> don't raise your hand. And, and, and I didn't know it, but the guy standing up there yelling would become my father-in-law. His beautiful eight-year-old daughter was sitting in the room at the same time, and here she is today. She's stuck with me now. I had no idea that, that I would marry his oldest daughter some, some 15 years later. But it was on that Sunday morning, I was unsuspecting. I came, I didn't know where we were going, didn't know what church was, didn't know anything about Scripture, didn't know any of those things, but I heard a man get up and passionately preach from John chapter number 3, marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. There must be a time and place in your life when you place your faith and trust in Christ alone to, for forgiveness of sins as your personal Savior. And on that Sunday morning, while I was wanting to go get some hamburgers, a man after church walked up while my mom was asking some Bible questions to some ladies in the church that we're sitting there, the auditorium was almost empty, and a man walked up, and he came over, and he knew we were guests, and he said, uh, you heard that message. Has there ever been a time and a place in your life that you asked Christ to be your Savior? And as a nine-year-old boy, I said no, and he opened the Bible and showed me how I could know for sure that heaven was my home, and I haven't been perfect since that day, and I really didn't know a whole lot on that day, but I knew a couple of things. I was a sinner. I needed a Savior. God had sent His Son to be my Savior, and as best as I could with the faith of a little child. I placed my faith and trust in Christ alone, and on that day, my eternity was forever changed. I began to grow in Christ, and, and God began to work in our lives, and, and now today there are four generations of our family in a Bible-preaching church today, and, and, and God has worked in and through our lives and done some wonderful things. But can I tell you, it's not because we were looking for Christ, but He was looking for us. We weren't looking for Christ that day, but He was looking for us. You may not be looking for Him this morning, but He came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's been some 2,000 years since Christ came to an unsuspecting world and changed the course of human history. Nobody had room for Him on that, that Christmas morn or that Christmas night so, so many years ago, and yet He came, and it's been some 33 years since Christ came to an unsuspecting single mom and her nine-year-old boy and changed everything in our lives. Maybe, just maybe, Christmas Sunday 2021 is the day that Christ is knocking on your unsuspecting heart. He's knocking on the door of your heart and He wants to change your life, your future, maybe your marriage, your eternity. No one had room for Him. I didn't put that phrase in there. They laid Him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. No one had room for him, but he came anyway. And God allowed that phrase to be included in the canon of Scripture, a reminder that Christ didn't only come for the religious, the spiritual, the seeking. He came for the unsuspecting. He came for the ones who didn't know they needed him, didn't even know who he was. He came for you, and he came for me. Let that truth change everything in your life. Jesus came 
right where you were to change everything about your today. May I say your yesterday? He wants to forgive all of your past sins, your today and your tomorrow. Jesus came for the unsuspecting. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.